0: And this morning we're going to be in the book of Romans. We've been looking at Romans for a group of months, and we're really getting close to the end section. We're in the end section of the book of Romans. And today we're in chapter 14 of of Romans. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12. And as we do that, we're going to be asking this question. This is the question that the Apostle Paul invites us to ask as we look at this. This idea of loved or judged. How do you make others feel? Loved or judged. This is the type of thing that he's addressing here in Romans 14. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn there with me. Romans 14, starting with verse 1. I'll read down to verse 12. And this is what it states. "'As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables.' One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be both, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege to be able to gather together this morning and to be able to worship You and to be able to look at Your Word together and to be able to think about the things that You reveal to us in this portion of Scripture and how You help us in our walk with You. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that You give us very practical insight into our day-to-day living when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. This is the type of thing that we look at and we can see an immediate application. And so, Lord, we pray that You'd help us to understand this context of Scripture, that we'd understand the content of it, that You'd help us as we seek to grow in our walk with You, and that ultimately as people observe us interacting with You and interacting with others, that a glimpse of Your Son, Jesus Christ, would be given to all those that we interact with. And we thank You again for the privilege to be able to look at these things together today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I think all of us would agree with this. I don't think that this is a, a debatable statement, but each of us is having an impact on other people. Each of us is having an impact on the other people that we interact with, right? That's a general statement that I think I can safely say that we would all agree on. We all impact those we interact with. My wife asked me a question earlier this week that I thought was interesting. And it was in reference to someone that, uh, that the two of us Uh, in the past have worked with, and and from time to time we've come across in recent years. And her question to me after interacting with this person recently was, how do you feel after you interact with him? And I I said, that's interesting. I I said, you know, why do you ask me that? And she said, well, I I just want to find out what you say uh, before I tell you what, what I was thinking. And I said, well, here's the thing. You know, decades ago when I would interact with this person... I felt blessed by the interaction. I felt edified. I felt encouraged. And I said, but to be honest with you, in recent years, whenever I interact with him, I usually feel belittled. Or I usually feel like he's looking down on me for, you know, whatever reason. And she said, that's strange. She's like, I feel the same exact way. And, and I, she said, I bring it up to you because somebody brought it up to me. They're like, why does he always make me feel bad about myself, you know? And uh, I said, no, I yeah, I, I kind of have, have felt that way too. It's not just you, and it's not just this other person. And I don't even think that the person that's doing it is aware that they're doing it. Actually, I think when people tend to do that, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, everybody, look at me, I'm insecure about myself. And people that are insecure about themselves tend to make others feel... A little bit worse about themselves in a way to puff themselves up. That's actually what I think is going on in that particular context. But I think sometimes we can live blissfully unaware of how we make other people feel. Sometimes I think we could be completely unaware of the fact that that maybe we're making people feel judged when we ought to make them feel loved. So how do people experience us, right? Let's ask this internally let's ask this introspectively how do others experience us do they feel better or do they feel worse after talking with us or after interacting with us uh, how do how does uh, our demeanor impact members of our church family and how does our demeanor impact those who don't have faith in Christ and I bring that up because when we look at a portion of scripture like this it addresses one of the major hang-ups that many people in this world have toward Christians and it relates to this fear of being condemned or judged. That's something that people fear when they interact with you. I don't know if if that's something that you've recognized. I know that sometimes uh, during the course of my life, I've become a bit, a bit hesitant when I'm just meeting somebody to let them know what they what I do for a living. I feel like everything is fine and everything is good right up to the point where they ask me, so, like, what, what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And, uh, immediately I could sense a change in the conversation and a change in reaction. Especially if, you know, they've said maybe an unsavory word right up, you know, up to the point it's Like, oh, I, this is my favorite because, you know, the, it'll be like, I, I don't normally curse. I don't normally curse. I'm just having a, it's And I also wouldn't have cursed if I knew you were a pastor. That's what you're saying, right? You know, as if I haven't heard those words, right? Um, but what's the fear? The fear is immediately that the, per, the person, I know what they're fearful of. And I do my best to hopefully combat that. But they're fearful that they're about to be judged. They're fearful that they're about to be looked down upon. They're fearful that the, um, you know, the kindness that I showed to them a moment ago is now going to change or, or alter once they see the type of role that I serve in on a day-to-day basis. And the truth is there are many people, in fact, I, I, remember, um, I remember my family when I was a child, I, I asked them, uh, I, I said, so you don't, you don't attend worship services at a church, why is that? But yet this was somebody that was a professing believer in Christ. And I, I just asked her, I said, You don't why don't you attend worship services? Why isn't that something that you participate in? And she said, Well, let me tell you what happened. And then she told me a story of something that would fall into this category of somebody being very excessive in condemning and judging toward her in a in a very hurtful way. And it kind of crushed her spirit and made it so that even though her home church was, in, was really within walking distance of her house. It was really only a couple blocks. She felt so discouraged that she decided, I, I, just, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I miss being there, but I don't want to go back because my heart feels too crushed. So, this is something that we should wrestle with. And obviously we should wrestle with it because it comes up in this portion of Scripture, but we should wrestle with it as those who take the Scripture seriously. So, loved or judged. How do we make others feel? What's the counsel that the Apostle Paul is trying to give us as believers as we look at Romans chapter 14? Well, one of the things that he tells us here is that we ought to be people who value our relationships more than we value our opinions. Think about that statement for just a second. We should value our relationships more than we value our opinions. Let me reread the first couple verses again. He says this As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's pause there for just a moment. Historically, if you look back at the church at Rome, the church that Paul initially addressed this letter to, one of the greatest compliments that could be said about the church at Rome during the era in which Paul wrote this letter was that it was a diverse church. It was legitimately a diverse group of people. The believers there came from vastly different backgrounds. Some of the Christians had been pagan Gentiles prior to coming to faith in Christ. Others had been devoted Jews. Some had been slaves. Some had been poor. Some were wealthy. But it takes work for a diverse group of people to learn to get along, and it didn't happen automatically in that era, and it doesn't happen automatically in our era either. It takes work for a diverse group of people to get along. And it's also important to note, when you read a portion of Scripture like this, and when you think about those that we interact with as our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're all at different stages of spiritual maturity. Every single one of us in this room, every single believer you've ever met, we're all at different stages of spiritual maturity. So you may personally be someone who has followed Christ for many years, and you've grown in the spiritual disciplines of prayer, and you've grown in the spiritual discipline of studying the Scriptures, And so you're probably at a spot of spiritual maturity, maybe that's a bit more advanced. Or maybe you're someone who's just come to faith in Christ. And as a result, you're just starting out your walk in Christ. You don't know the Scriptures super well yet, but you're working on it. You're looking at them, you're thinking about these things, you're praying through these things. Or maybe you've known Christ for many years, but as of yet you haven't learned to apply the disciplines of prayer the disciplines of studying the Scripture to your life. And so your spiritual maturity might be hindered at this point and kind of stunted. But the point being, we're all at different seasons of spiritual maturity and we all have different backgrounds. So since we all have different backgrounds, even the sampling of believers right here in this room, since we all have different backgrounds and since we're all at different seasons of spiritual maturity, how should we treat one another? How should I treat you? How should you treat me? How should we treat one one another? Well, one of the principles that the Apostle Paul explains here is the, the importance of valuing our relationships more than we value our opinions. Now, in the context in which these words were written, you had people from pagan backgrounds. And these folks from pagan backgrounds, many of them, refused to eat meat. In that context, because they were concerned that that meat may have come from some of the meat markets that were associated with temple sacrifices. So there were pagan temples throughout the Roman Empire, and at times sacrifices would be made at the temples, and then the leftover meat from those sacrifices would usually be sold in meat markets that were associated with the temples. Now, if you came out of a pagan background... And you had now recognized that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. So you're trying to leave paganism and you're trying to worship Christ with sincerity. Do you suppose it might be a stumbling block for you to continue to buy meat at a meat market where you know that that meat was first sacrificed to an idol? Do you suppose that that might be a, you know, pre- present a conflict in conscience for some believers? It did. Now, you know, That's something that they had liberty, whether or not they bought the meat there or they didn't. The idea was don't make somebody else stumble, whatever your opinion on it happens to be. But you have Paul addressing that because it was very much a reality in this context in the church at Rome. But the church at Rome, like I said, was a diverse group of people. So you have some people from a pagan background, but you also have people who who had grown up as devoted Jews. And now they're connected together, united together with these folks that came from a Gentile background into one new body called the church, but then you look at the old covenant regulations for Jewish eating, and there were certain foods they weren't allowed to eat and certain ways that food had to be prepared, and they've been practicing this all their life up to this point, but now all of a sudden as they're coming to an understanding of the way the new covenant operates... They're wrestling with, wait a second, do I still have to eat things the way I used to eat them? Am I allowed to eat things a little bit differently? How does this work as far as even having fellowship with these Gentiles that I'm now connected with through my common faith in Christ? This was something that was debated in the church at Rome, and not just in the church at Rome. We see it debated in other local churches at the, in this era as well. But it was certainly something that they were debating and they were struggling with because people came from different backgrounds, and they had different opinions about some of these issues. So what should we do when we're presented with differences or issues or dilemmas like this? Should, so, you know, in, in our context, should I be uh, sensitive or should I be arrogant toward your opinions and preferences, or should I be demanding regarding my own opinions? Which one do you think it should be? You know, should we be sensitive toward our opinions and, and preferences or demanding about our own? And aren't we being shown here, when you look at what the Scripture tells us, that we should value more uh, we should value people more than we should value our own opinions when it comes to areas of Christian liberty. We should value people more than our own opinions when it comes to Christian liberty. It certainly plays out in our day just as much as it was playing out in this particular era. It's just sometimes the subjects that we discuss and debate are a little bit different. And admittedly, and I'll just admit this to you, and this wouldn't be a surprise, I'm human, right? Um... When it comes to some of my opinions, it's hard for me at times to treat them like areas of Christian liberty, because a lot of my opinions are pretty firmly entrenched in my mind and in my heart. And I would suspect that you have some opinions that are pretty firmly entrenched in your mind and in your heart. And this week when I was thinking about the subject, I thought, all right, what are some of the things that I, you know, that, that I'm very opinionated about? <laughs> my wife is smirking in the back. She's like, don't tell them everything. Please don't tell them everything. I won't tell them everything, all right? And I'm not, I'm not even going to tell them what my opinions are, okay? I'm just going to think of some of the subjects that I thought, wow, like, yeah, you have pretty strong opinions about that and pretty strong opinions about that. Here, here are some of the subjects that I thought of this week. I have strong opinions regarding work and a, a general work ethic. Very strong opinions to the point where it... I, like, I don't even treat them like opinions in my own mind. In my own mind, these are just facts, right? But then I was thinking about some of the other things. It's like, alright, well, parenting. I have a lot of opinions related to parenting. You know what? You're not going to believe this, but I've met some Christians who parent differently than I do. <laughs> and differently than my wife does. Can you imagine the nerve of some of these people to have different opinions and practices? My word. Not, not our friends, you know. Um, <laughs> how about entertainment choices? Do you suppose that there might be some differences of opinion related to entertainment choices? Again, some of these things in my mind, they're not opinion. They're, it's just like, just fact, right? Um, I remember, this is uh, almost ten years ago, I was preaching a sermon, and I referenced the fact that I had seen the most recent Batman movie. Now, I don't know what your opinion on on that would be, whether you think that that's okay or not, but I, I saw it, so I'm just going to admit it, right? And uh, and I enjoyed it, and there was a, a, a quote in it that, uh, that I referenced in that message, and afterward, I got a not-so-nice letter from somebody that didn't feel that I sh- should have seen that movie. And I was like, okay, and I was respectful t- toward it, but I thought to myself afterward, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is this is one of those things like we debate, don't we? Because there are certain things that I would feel pretty strongly about saying, no, you shouldn't watch that or you shouldn't listen to that. You know, we have opinions on that. That didn't rise to the level of something that I was unwilling to see. But there are other things that I feel very strongly. Yeah, that's my eyes are not going to uh, look at that form of entertainment or my ears are not going to listen to that form of entertainment. And I was also thinking about one more. This This could be a real debated issue among believers. But your view of alcohol, whether it's wise to drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol, so I guess you could guess what my opinion on that is, right? But there are issues when it comes to this stuff. You look at it and it's like, okay, um, are these opinions or are they firmly stated facts in Scripture? And Paul was trying to help the church at Rome to address these issues From the standpoint of valuing people more than they valued their opinions. You know, so what matters more? Our opinions or the people that we meet who are created in God's image? What matters more? Now, for some people in my life, I can look at that and I think sometimes their opinions matter more to them than the people they impact. And there are certain times in my life when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that's a moment where I really dropped the ball, where I elevated my opinion about a debated subject over my relationship with certain people. I've done it plenty. You've probably done it as well. But according to Scripture, people matter more. And the ways in which we interact with people, it demonstrates the fact that we value them more than we value our opinions or our preferences or areas of Christian liberty. And so you have this principle being discussed at the start of this chapter. But then the the chapter goes on to discuss some additional things. And it encourages us to honor the Lord with a clear conscience. Let me reread verses 5 and 6. They say this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Holidays can be an interesting topic of discussion among believers. Wouldn't you agree? You know, just in general, holidays, I think, can be... You know, so when I preach... I prefer to work through a book of the Bible at a time, and usually in between a series on looking through a book of the Bible, I'll usually pick a brief topic that I want to address and then segue into another uh, longer series on one of the books of the Bible. But throughout the course of the year, there are various cultural holidays and there's various religious holidays that dot the calendar and come up at different points in time. And so another pastor asked me some years ago, he said, what do you do when you're preaching through a series? So if you're going through a book, like right now we're going through the book of Romans. He he said, what do you do when you're preaching through a series, but then one of these holidays comes up? Do you continue preaching through the book or do you pause and then preach a message that would fit with the holiday and then resume the book? And I didn't have a consistent answer to give to him because sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll continue preaching through the book, and then other times I feel led to pause and acknowledge what is being celebrated on a particular day or at a particular time of the year. I really just try and trust the Holy Spirit's guidance on it and uh, and and address it that way. But when you look at what's taking place in this portion of Scripture, among the believers of Rome, the idea of commemorating holidays, it would often turn into a source of contention or a source of debate. It was something that became very heated. The way people celebrated or didn't celebrate holidays. There's no difference even now. I mean, people debate this stuff all the time. But under the Old Covenant, the Jewish people were required to celebrate certain feasts and holy days. You could read that when you're reading through the Old Covenant and you could see some of the things they were required to celebrate. Under the New Covenant that we live under, we acknowledge that these celebrations were pointing to Jesus and were pointing to aspects of His earthly ministry, things that He has now fulfilled. And we are no longer under obligation to celebrate something like the Passover. Why? Because through Christ, we have been passed over for judgment. Or we're no longer required to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. Why? because Christ is risen from death as the first fruits of the resurrection. These are things that have been fulfilled in Christ, and so on. But as you can imagine, there were still plenty of people in this context, in the church at Rome, who still felt that they, that they ought to celebrate those feasts. The feasts that were prescribed under the Old Covenant. They treated these things as regulations, at least in their own conscience. They felt convicted to celebrate these feasts. And so Paul speaks of it as an area of Christian liberty. He says if you want to celebrate, go for it. There's nothing wrong with celebrating it. If you want to celebrate it, go for it, right? But if you don't, you're under no obligation to. Just be considerate of your brothers and sisters in Christ who have different opinions. And make sure whatever decision you make is made in such a way that you honor the Lord and keep your conscience clear. That's the principle that he's talking about here. Give thanks to God if you participate, and give thanks to God if you abstain. Again, he's speaking about this through the lens of Christian liberty. And then he develops the thought a little bit further. And he reveals to us when we look at verses 7-9 through that our new life in Christ is not self-centered. It's not about being self-centered. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now I have to say this, and, and this is particularly on my mind today with it being Mother's Day. But some of the least self-centered people I have had the privilege to know throughout the course of my life were the women in my family. So in addition to my mother, whom many of you knew, uh, I was also blessed to have two fantastic grandmothers. Fantastic. Highly involved in my life. Also was given uh, a bonus grandmother. I had a great aunt, my Aunt Madge who operated like an extra grandmother and would spoil me just like, just like, you know, my grandmothers would, you know, so if I I wanted to, I'll never forget, does anyone, (laughs) this is going to date me here a little bit, Um, does anyone remember Swatch Watches? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A few people do it. Thank you, Becky. I see that, I see that hand, right? Isn't that what pastors are supposed to say, right? I see that hand. All right, so Swatch Watches, if you don't know what it is, look it up. Um, They were really popular in the 80s, all right? So mid-80s, Swatch watches, they were just, everybody wanted to have one. And it was also the trend, if you could afford it, to get a bunch of them, and you just kind of like work them up your arm as far as you could get them. You know, like you'd have, like, why do you need 14 watches? It's like, I don't even look at it to tell time. I just want it as a status symbol. And uh, I remember we were at a store, and I was there with my Aunt Madge, And I was looking at all the different things they had there and we came across the counter that sold swatch watches and they were 35 bucks a piece. And I was like, and this is mid 80s. That's, what's that now? That's like $17,000 in current, in current monetary. I don't have a calculator up here, but I'm just doing the mental math. And, uh, and I looked, I was like, and she saw me looking at these and I have two younger sisters and I'm just looking at them. She's like, are these important to you? I was like, oh, these are the thing, Aunt Madge. Like, these are the things. I would love to have a swatch. And she's like, okay, we'll take a look. She's like, that's fine. Do you know how to tell time on it? I, I was like, I do. And I proved it. And she's like, okay. And uh, she's like, oh, I'll get you one. And uh, and the the my sisters were like, oh, cool. She's like, yeah, I'll get one for everyone. She had no idea how much they cost. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, and uh, so I picked it out. And the one I picked out was Transparent. You could see all the gears. Even the watch band was see through, and I thought this is the coolest thing. I could see my arm, but yet I'm wa- I'm wearing a watch. You could see right through it, and uh, it was great. And so she goes to pay, and the person rings it up, and it's over a hundred dollars. and And my aunt was like, "Wait, how much are these things?" And they're like, "Well, they're they're thirty five dollars a piece." And I watched her just say, ooh, okay, but we're already wearing them, and we're like showing each other, we're like, this looks awesome, and um, she paid for it, and I was like, well, thank you, but I, I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, I was thoroughly grateful, but I did feel a twinge of guilt when I realized, oh, she didn't know how much these cost, and she still bought them for us, but the point being, you know, I watched these women, my mother, my grandmothers, my bonus grandmother, and my Aunt Madge. I watched them be self, uh, like they were not self-centered at all when it came to us. You know, they looked after us, they blessed us, uh, they helped us in so many ways. And it was a privilege to be able to observe that as they blessed us in these ways. And they would act in ways that they would make decisions, um, and some really excelled at this. I would see them excel at making decisions that were a blessing overall to our family. And uh, there are lots of things that I could look at that I can tie to the influence of those women in my life. They were not self-centered. And the body of Christ is a family as well. You know, when when we look at our family, when we look at the body of Christ, when we look at the church, we're a family. And when a family is healthy, it tends to be sacrificial and it tends to be others-centered. So think about that. Every healthy family you know tends to be sacrificial and other-centered. Isn't that correct? They think of their other family members and esteem them above themselves. They tend to make sacrifices for the greater good of their family. Even, you know, those of you that have recently started having children. Some of you had your first children in the past few months. Couldn't you tell something that was, like, triggered in your mind the moment you had that child, where all of a sudden you realized... Here's this child who may, like, will wait till three months old before they really consistently smile. So for the first three months of their life, all they're going to do is cry to be fed and held and make messes of themselves. And you're happy to clean them up and feed them and cradle them and love them. And they give you nothing, right? They give you nothing. They rob you of sleep. They cost you money. They cost you time. They make, you can't go to the movies anymore. You used to be able to go to the movies. Now every time you even want to go to the store, you have to find somebody to like watch this. Like Every move you make, you have to think it through four days in advance so that someone's watching the child so that you can actually do something. You haven't had a date night in six years, it feels like, right? Even though the child's months old. I get it. And yet, what gets triggered in your heart and in your mind the second that you lay eyes on that child? You're like, I would die for you. I would die for you. You've done nothing for me except be born. And I would die for you. There's something that the Lord triggers in the mind of of, of someone who understands the nature of His love related to to sacrifice, related to an other-centeredness. It blesses families. It's a blessing in the church as well. And it's a concept that the Apostle Paul wanted us to understand as we interact with one another as the body of Christ, as the family of God. We're to be others-centered. We're to be sacrificial for one another. We're a family, and everything that we do will have an impact on the other members of the family of Christ. And he, the way he phrases it here, he speaks about the fact that none of us lives to himself any longer. So when I think of the progression of, of my life, and just kind of developing over time and maturity and things like that. I can think of a time where I was trying to very much live for myself, and then one at a time, you kind of see that change as you grow older, as you develop relationships, as you grow in maturity. And that's how it works in the church as well. None of us lives to himself any longer. And none of us dies to himself any longer, Paul says. We don't live to ourselves any longer. We don't die to ourselves any longer. We're called to glorify Christ when we live our new life. And we're called to glorify Christ when we treat the selfish selfish intentions of our old nature as dead. Selfish intentions of my old nature, I need to treat those things as dead. Therefore, I cannot consider myself a mature Christian if I am not concerned with how my decisions will impact my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I want to be a mature Christian, I need to be mindful of how my decisions will impact others who are part of the same family that I'm part of. William Gladstone told a story years ago. I read it a few years ago and then I came across it again this week. And I want to read just a small section of it to you, but it says this. It says, William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria. The doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter and endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. Once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the child said, Mama, kiss me. Without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. She got diphtheria, and some days thereafter... She went to be with the Lord forever. And I reread that this week, and I thought I'm going to mention that on Sunday. Because isn't that the essence of what we're being taught in Romans 14? Our new life in Christ is not self centered. You know, here in the, you know, William Gladstone is talking about the fact that this mother, she forgot herself entirely. And without thinking of herself, she kissed her daughter, even though she knew that there was a risk in doing so, but it wasn't forefront on her mind. Her love for her daughter was forefront on her mind. Our new life in Christ is not self-centered. One other thing that that Paul brings up in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, and this is where we'll finish this morning, and that's this. It's not our job to condemn one another. It's not our job to condemn one another. Look at what it says in verse 10 down to verse 12. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother?" For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what's the Scripture teaching us? It's teaching us that that the day is going to come when we're all going to give an account for our lives before the Lord. I'm not going to give an account to Him for your life. And you're not going to give an account to Him for my life. We'll be giving an account for our own lives. And He will be the the one to judge the quality and the sincerity of the way we chose to live and the work that we chose to do. And so knowing this, the Apostle Paul teaches us in this portion of Scripture that it is not our job to condemn one another. It's not, you know... The, the way it's phrased here, uh, in, in the Scripture, he said, it's, as he's quoting the Lord, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Right? That's what the Lord says of Himself. The Lord says, every knee will bow to me. And when we condemn one another, isn't that effectively the same as saying, no, every knee will bow to me. Here in this portion of Scripture, the Scripture tells us, as I live, the Lord says, or says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me me. So Paul's reminding us it's not our job to condemn one another, but I have a, a wrinkle to this that I want to throw out there for us to consider. What about believers who are clearly living in rebellion toward the revealed will of God in Scripture? Is it wrong to point that out to them? Would it be judgmental or condemning to point something like that out to a believer who's living in direct rebellion to the clearly revealed will of God in Scripture? As one family in Christ, which we are, right? We're one family in Christ. It isn't our job to condemn one another about areas of Christian liberty. But it is our job to correct and to admonish one another when it comes to areas of God's will that aren't areas of opinion. He's made it abundantly clear. And there are things that we could look at in Scripture that He's made abundantly clear. It's not an area of liberty It's an area of, of fact. It's an area of direct statement or command directly from God. And when it comes to those areas, that's not an area we debate. That's an area that if I'm going in a direction in my life that, you know, if if all of a sudden, if I'm treating my wife poorly, or if i'm going out and and robbing stores and if i'm going out you know committing violence in our community is that an area of my christian liberty or is that an area that you could say listen scripture clearly teaches that that's not what you're called to do and would it be loving if you as my brother or sister in christ never took the time to point that out to me it would actually be unloving not to steer me back on the right path if i drift in a direction i shouldn't go Great example of this, and it was done in love, but it was also done forcefully. But we could see a great example of this in 1 Corinthians 5. I'll read verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5, and I'll read verse 12 as well. But in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, as he's challenging the church at Corinth. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Then in verse 12, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So you see the difference of what he's saying there. He wrote 1 Corinthians. He also wrote the book of Romans. But we could see a difference in what he's talking about there. And what he's saying is, if a brother or sister in Christ that we truly love, that you truly love, is welcoming sin into their life, it would not be loving for us to pretend that evil is good And there's a big difference between condemning someone over a debatable manner or condemning someone over uh, a, you know, something that's an opinion or correcting someone over an issue that's very clear in Scripture related to God's moral will. Condemning someone over their opinions is one thing, but correcting someone over something that God's Word has clearly revealed can be a very loving thing for us to do. So, let me just finish up by asking this. Loved or judged? How do we make others feel? Loved or judged? With the power and wisdom that Christ supplies, we're called to see others with His eyes, with His perspective, and to value others more than we value our opinions and our preferences. And the truth is, Christ is honored when His heart is reflected in the ways in which we love one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together this morning and study it and think about the things that, that You have presented to us in it. Lord, we recognize that there are a variety of things that we can look at and we could say, "All right, that's an area of opinion. Or that's an area of preference. But then there are other things that we see very clearly in Scripture that aren't areas of opinion or preference. It's very clearly part of Your will. And You've revealed it without ambiguity. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be people that throughout the course of our lives, we look at what Your Word says and we don't try and argue with You about it or debate it. We just obey You as the fruit of genuine faith. And likewise, Lord, we pray that we'd give one another a little room to breathe. We've got different backgrounds, we're at different areas of spiritual maturity. And we pray that uh, the attitude that we convey to one another wouldn't be one of condemnation, it wouldn't be one of of judgment, but it would be an attitude of grace and mercy and genuine prayer and, and a desire to come alongside those who, who know the Lord and, and love the Lord and, and just need someone a little more, more mature in their faith to Kind of steer them along and help them out in the midst of a rough patch. Pray that that would be our attitude. We pray that likewise, Lord, as we interact with those in this world who as of yet do not know you, we pray that we would be mindful of our testimony. We pray that we would convey the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, in a very honest and transparent way. We don't have to endorse things that are out of line with your word or out of line with your will, but we can be loving in regard to people that hold very different viewpoints from what we tend to hold. So we pray, Lord, that You'd help us to, to walk that fine line, that You'd give us Your discernment, that You'd help us to operate with just this extra dose of grace and mercy that we know that You supply to us. And we're grateful, Lord, for the fact that You have been and continue to be abundantly patient with us as we're in the process of growing in our walk with You as well. So Lord, help us not to act like we've somehow arrived. We haven't arrived yet. That'll happen when we're glorified in your presence. Right now, we're a work in progress. We pray that we would give others, uh, again, some space to be works in progress as well. And that is, brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another, that we would help one another grow in our walk with you, and that we would do so in a loving and joyful and respectful way. And we thank You for the privilege to do so. We thank You for those that have invested in our lives in such a way as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.